All right. Hey, good morning, Sojourn. Hey, man, I'm so excited to be here. I feel like this is my home church because I feel like I've been a part of it for the past 20 years, as long as Chris has been here. Really excited that I get to come and share what's on my heart. Um, My family pastor at a church in Ormond Beach. It's about 10 minutes outside of Daytona Beach. It's called Salty. And it's not like salty like I'm salty, but it's like salty like the sand. So people do come to church because we are not salty. You know, we're good. We want people to come to church. But, uh, man, it's so exciting. And I want to give you a report of what's going on because I know that we're all a body of the Christ. We're all connected. We're all here for the same purpose and reason. And, man, I'm telling you, I'm seeing people come to Christ every week. It's so amazing. You know, we look at the, uh, the commercials and we see people on the beach and, you know, they've got something cold to drink and their toes in the sand. But I got down there and people need Jesus at the beach. I mean, they do. And they're hearing it. Man, there are people that are making that commitment to be baptized. And, uh, man, we're baptizing people at an alarming rate. I mean, I would say probably 10 people a week are being baptized. They're not waiting for Sunday They don't wait, and they just want to be baptized. And the cool thing about it is we don't have to wait till Sunday because the beach is right across the street (laughs) from there. Yeah, I mean, we go over there, they're baptized, and we've got the sun and the sand and the waves, and it's just this glorious, amazing experience. When they come out of the water, they think it's a dove and it's a seagull (laughs) that's coming down and ascending, and it's a really, really cool experience, not like me and Chris's experience when we were Growing up, and we got baptized. We got baptized in White Oak Lake. All right. Now, White Oak Lake is infamous for alligators. So I really didn't want to be baptized. I felt like it was what God wanted me to do. And I remember being in the water. The pastor, he says, hey, Stephen, I'm going to put my hand over your mouth. And I need you to close your eyes. And I'm going to dunk you under. And I was like, "Uh, you can put your hand over my mouth. I'm not closing my eyes because there is a log floating out there that looks just like an alligator. It circled around, all right? So you do what you got to do, and I'm going to do what I need to do, all right? So anyway, man, it's so fun to be here. Uh, Man, to share a little bit of just what it's like to grow up with the McCrays. Man, we've got some stories. We've got some stories. I'm glad my cousin's here because I can share some stuff about him, too. (laughs) But anyway, hey, growing up with my mom and dad, we had to come to the dinner table with a scripture memorized. I don't know if Chris told you or not, but there was a time where we had to come to the dinner table with scriptures. And me, I was the overachiever. I'm the overachiever. I'm the people pleaser. So I'd come to the dinner table. Mom, I've got one. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I would start quoting it and saying it. And Stephen said, oh, Stephen, that's good. You get, you get second, Stephen. Yes, that's awesome. And then Chris would come to the table and he would sit down. And she's like, mom was like, all right, Chris, what you got? Jesus wept. <laughs> okay, next verse. It's like, no, that's really, that's a scripture. That's a verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And that's it. Chris, get up from the table, go back in your room until you can get a scripture, a couple of scriptures, you can't come back to the table. So it was wild living with the McCrays. And I will tell you, like, growing up with them and seeing my mom and dad serve the Lord, it it is exactly that, that they were such servants and they modeled just serving all the time. And our siblings, we all saw this and all of us, we took that on and we just began to serve. I remember being a kid and... um, my parents would take us on these summer vacations to Florida and uh, took my cousin with us. I, I will say my parents took me and their siblings, the, some of the siblings, more than other siblings because there was a particular sibling 
that had to stay because there was a school going on during the summer. And I don't know exactly, what do y'all call that? Yeah, they uh, was involved in summer school. We won't name that, that sibling this morning, but we all got to go to, to Florida. And when my mom and dad took us to Florida, man, they took us to Disney World. They took us to the beach. And as a kid, I vowed, I said, you know what? I'm going to live here one day. One day I'm going to live here. I'm going to go to Disney World. I'm going to go to the beach. God, please give me an opportunity to do this. And I want to tie this directly to serving um, because I believe, I truly believe in my heart that serving is where it's at. Jesus says the greatest of you and among you will be the servant. And that's what Jesus said when he came here. He said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve others and to lay my life down as a ransom. And Jesus had it. And that's what it was. He modeled it and showed it to us. And my parents, they were able to show, show it to us. And that's to serve. And as I began to just serve with opportunities in ministry, God began to connect me to my future. I believe that my future is, your future is like on a rope. And you're on the other end. And as you continue to serve, you're pulling yourself closer to the things that God has for your life. I remember being in kids' ministry. The first puppet I ever ran was a, a, a frog puppet. We called him Booger the Frog. I loved it. I loved it, man. The kids would come in and I'd have the girls come over and try to kiss the frog and they'd lean over the puppet stage and I'd squirt silly uh, spring, uh, string in their face there. But anyway, as I begin to serve, it is, yeah, as I begin to serve, man, I become connected to my future, to those things that God placed into my heart of going to the beach and wanting to, to go to Disney World and all of those things. And I remember as I was serving, uh, they needed somebody to run a full body puppet in a parade. And our, my pastor came to me and said, hey, why, why don't you, Stephen, jump in a, a full body puppet in the middle of summer, in August, in 130 degree weather and dance and represent the church? I was like, I can do that. Yeah, I guess I can do that. So I'm out there dancing and sweating, you know, just because there was a need there that needed to be filled. And a lot of you maybe are trying to look and try to find your purpose in life. Maybe your purpose here in serving at Sojourn. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not complicated. It's not hard at all. You don't have to take a spiritual giftings test. You don't have to rate or rank a certain letter. All you've got to do is fill a need. And as you begin to serve and become more like Jesus Christ, God pushes you closer to the future that he has for your life. Amen. So as I began to serve and serve, I got an opportunity to move to Florida. There was a need there, and I said, God, I can do that. And I stepped into that need, and, you know, now I'm at the beach. I have annual passes to Disney World. <laughs> I got to meet my wife there who was serving in ministry as well. I've got beautiful daughters, and I'm here to tell you that serving, I'm telling you, it connects us to our future, to the things that God has for our lives. I remember going to, to, to Florida. That one trip, man, it was awesome. My cousin got to go with us. And, man, that morning we were going to Disney World. We were going to see Mickey Mouse. I was waiting. This was going to be the time of my life. I waited for this for so long. And that morning we got up and we did our devotions. Dad and Mom, they did some devotions with us. And, man, it was like 11 o'clock. And I'm starving. I mean, I am hungry. I'm ready to eat and go to Orlando. And dad, I'm like, come on, dad, wrap it up, wrap it up, bring the, land the plane, come on, daddy, wrap it up. 
And as soon as he says amen, I'm like, yes, let's go. Let's go get something to eat. My cousin Jared said, Uncle Don, I want to be saved. Oh, no. Why? That's going to have to wait till tomorrow. We're going to Disney World. What are you doing? Anyway. And I will tell you, man, that's, that really connected me to my future. My life was fulfilled. I stand here to tell you that I'm doing ministry. People are being saved. Lives are changed. And I didn't make it complicated. I just filled a need. When I look in the Bible and I see David, there was a need that needed to be filled at the palace. David was a shepherd boy working in the fields, and someone needed to come and play an instrument for Saul. David said, I can do that. We all know the story about the Philistines. Goliath is hollering and screaming at the children of Israel. And Jesse, David's dad, just needed David to go and bring some sandwiches to the brothers. I can do that. And just David, he goes, and we all know the story, that David, he wipes Goliath out. He kills him, defeats him. They defeat the the Philistines. And you think, yes, David should be king. He's proven himself. Justice was served. Give that man the crown. But that's not what happened. It says in the Bible that he joined the military and continued to serve just by saying, yeah, I can do that. Simple things, not complicated. I want to challenge you to get you out of your own world and your circumstances and whatever's going on in your life. Just serve. It's easy. Sojourn here. I guarantee you there's a lot of places that you can fill in and serve right here in this ministry. Amen. So I was asking God, God, what can I share to sojourn? What can I say to them? And God just began to lay some things on my heart about sojourn. Because I know I've, I've watched sojourn from afar, but I feel like I've been here for years. And God began to share and say to me that sojourn is this light in a dark world. It's this beacon. It's this city that's set on a hill that everyone can see. And the world is watching sojourn. And as sojourn goes, other churches follow. They say, well, what is Sojourn doing? What are the decisions they're making? How are they leading? How are they doing this? And that's what these other churches and pastors and people are asking. And I said, God, why are you assembling these people? People I see, I saw in the spirit, people coming from the north and the south and the east and the west. God, why are you assembling these people? What's going on? What's happening here at Sojourn? And God said, I am bringing together this diverse army of believers for such a time as this. Because it is a fight. There's a fight happening. And I don't know if you can sense it. I don't know if you can feel it in the spirit. But there is a fight going on. That's why God has you here. And I'm not talking about a fight with politics. I'm not talking about even kind of parties. I'm not talking about any of those things. But I'm talking about a spiritual battle that's happening right here. Amen? Amen. I don't know if you can sense it and feel it in the air, but there is a spiritual explosion and eruption in the spirit that I know that I can see that's happening. You might feel a little uneasy about it. You might say, you know what? I don't know if I signed up for this when I came to Sojourn. I wanted a nice, quiet church. I caught a quiet subdivision that I live in. You know, everything is quiet. The lights are out by nine o'clock, you know. Everything is nice and tidy. We bring our trash out at two on Tuesdays, and everything is good. I don't know if I want to be involved in a fight here at Sojourn Church. Well, I'm telling you, it's too late. You've been drafted. Amen? You're here for a specific purpose. 
you're here for a specific reason. And I'm here to give you a little bit of uh, uh, rest here so you don't feel so uneasy. And I want to tell you that you're in good hands. You're in good hands because your leadership, they are warriors in the spirit. I saw these generals in the spirit with your leadership, with Pastor Terry. I see these generals that are decorated, highly decorated with these medals on. They have these medals because of the battles that they've been fighting and that they've won as they've pushed sojourn further and further and gained ground in the spirit. Amen. Amen. And I'll tell you, tell you that Chris, he's a decorated general. He's awesome. I saw him growing up. I saw this at a young age. And I'll tell you a story, the story that I was telling that somehow was mysteriously cut off. Chris, you cut that story off. <laughs> but we were in, in, in middle school. I was in the sixth grade. Chris was in the eighth grade. We're two years apart. And I was the runt. As you can see, I'm, I was the runt of the family, still is the runt, and, uh, of the boys there. And um, Chris was 16 years old. No, he was, no, he was probably 15 years old. He had a full beard. Dude had a full beard. I was jealous of Chris because he looked like a man in eighth grade. He could go into Walmart and buy shotgun shells at his age and not be carded at all. They wouldn't ask for his driver's license. So we're at school. School bell just rang, and I walk outside, and people are coming up to me, my friends. Steven, Steven, come get Chris. You got to come get him. I'm like, what? What's going on? What's happening? And they said, Steven, Chris is in a fight. Oh, I said, oh, my goodness, we can't get in a fight again. We can't get suspended. Chris can't get suspended. And so I, I throw my books down, and, and I run out the door. And just like typical school fashion, all the kids are around in a big circle, hollering, fight, fight, fight. And so I make my way through the kids, and I see Chris. And Chris, he's in this stance, and he's kind of filling this guy out. This other guy, he has a backpack in his hand. And I'm like, what in the world? What is he doing with that backpack? So Chris, he, he, he's impatient. He can't take it no more. And he just runs and lunges towards this kid like this big defensive end and runs. And this guy, as before Chris jumps on him, he pulls this baseball bat out of his backpack. And he rears back and hits Chris in the head. And, oh, man, I covered my eyes. I knew it was done. It was over. I heard the crowd go, oh, <laughs> it was done. But then I looked up again, and Chris was on top of this kid wailing on him. I mean, beating him up. And security jumps in, and they, they pull Chris off of this kid. And I go up to, my, to Chris. I'm like, oh, man, that's my brother, everybody. Hey, this is my brother, Chris. And I was proud of Chris. And I was amazed. So I put my hands on Chris's head. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking for the blood. I'm looking for this giant lump. And Chris is like, man, get your hand. What are you doing? I said, Chris. I'm looking for the blood. I'm looking for this big knot that's on your head. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, Chris, you got hit in the head with the bat. And he was like, oh, really? I did? Wow, I didn't even know that. <laughs> and so from that day on, I thought this guy was this fun, loving, happy-go-lucky teddy bear. And this guy can flip the switch whenever he needs to, I'm telling you. And that's who you have as a general. A guy that has the big shoulders to shoulder whatever the enemy has and throws at him. He's able to do it. He can handle it. You guys have got a good general right here. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm not a military person. I've never served or anything. And, and I felt like the Lord gave me a strategy for this fight that we're in. This fight the soldier is in. And number one, 
God said, sojourn, we need to be vigilant and be alert. He said, be vigilant, be alert. First Peter chapter five, starting with verse eight. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. There's churches around America right now, around the world, they're being lulled to sleep through the lies of the enemy. They're slowly going to sleep because they cannot identify the attack of the enemy. And that's the question that I want to ask you. How do I identify when the enemy is attacking me? We can always identify when the enemy is attacking another family or another person. We see it all the time. Someone walks up to us and say, man, I lost my job. They're about to shut my lights off at the house. My dog has run away with the rodeo. And the Dallas Cowboys lost last week. I mean, I am having a rough, rough day. And we can say, wow, man, that guy's really under attack. But we can't see the attack that's happening in our own lives. I call it the mechanic syndrome. We take our car to the mechanic. Mechanic can come up with a whole full list of things to diagnose our car with. Man, you got a knocking in your motor. You need to check your spark plugs. And he just rattles off all of these problems. And as soon as he gets done diagnosing your car, He'll walk right into his car, who is a piece of junk. There's smoke coming out of the tailpipe. The bumper's about to fall off. And I'm like, hey, look at your car. <laughs> we can always identify something in somebody else's life. But it seems as if we have a harder time trying to find out when the enemy is attacking us. Growing up as a kid, <laughs> my dad would always be looking for the attack of the enemy. And usually it was not the right or the most opportune time because it was usually at night, and Daddy was usually dreaming, he'd wake us up at 2 a.m. in the morning shouting and screaming, it's a snake in the house. Get up, everybody, get up. The devil's attacking us. Everybody get up. And he'd drag us out of bed. I'm like, Dad, go get the gun. Where's the snake? I'm looking for the snake. Where is it, Dad? No, it's not a snake in the house. I'm talking about a spiritual snake. The devil is attacking us. We're under attack. I'm like, really, Dad? Come on. My dad's head would be on a swivel looking see where the enemy was coming in. I mean, he would be looking. It's like, hey, Dad, we're going to go play with the neighbors. It's like, who are you playing with? Yeah, you know the guys across the street? Mm, I don't know about that. They're parents. I think they believe in science. We know. You can't go over there. You can't play with them. He was always looking for the attack of the enemy. Stephen, are you going to be the weak link? No, Dad, no, I'm, I'm reading my Bible. Chris, what you doing? How's your prayer life? And he would always be looking for the attack of the enemy. It's a trap. But you know what? The enemy loves to fight us on our own turf. He loves to fight us on our own turf. He's not going to wait. He fights us on our own turf because he fights our minds. He fights our thoughts because he knows that it's the hardest thing in the world for us to have our minds and our flesh line up with God's word. He loves to attack our minds. Listen to Romans chapter 7, verse 21. And this is Paul. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law working in me. That's that flesh. Waging war against the law of my mind. Making me a prisoner of the law of sin that's at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus delivers us. 
when those thoughts and those arrows are darting into our minds, that's when Jesus delivers us. What am I looking for when it comes to Satan's attacks? How can I identify when Satan is attacking me in this battle? First thing you look for is lies of the past. The devil loves to bring up our past, don't he? He loves to throw stuff up in our face and say, this is who you were. You're claiming to be something else in front of everybody else, but remember what you did. Remember who you were. Remember who you used to be. Remember what you did. You're not good enough. You'll never measure up. You failed all your life, and you're not going to do anything different. That's an attack. That's an attack from the enemy. Hey, don't go to sojourn. Don't go to church this morning. When you walk in the door and people look at you crazy, you don't need to go there. You need to find some other church. Lies. That's the attack of the enemy. It's deception. That's what the devil loves to do. He loves to cover our eyes up. And then as he's covered our eyes up and lulled us to sleep, we find ourselves in a place where we've just dwelled upon these thoughts and on our past, and we find ourselves in a bad place. When you see the battle, don't be defensive. The Lord is telling us to go and attack. Whenever we see the battle, we need to go and we need to engage. It's a completely different philosophy. We need to go and engage whenever we see that, that battle. And we need to strap up every day, and that's what the armor of God. We know the scripture, Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against parties. It's not against Democrats or Republicans or any of those people. It's against rulers. It's against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. We have to win the battle over our minds. And what it is, it's a fight to see who can stay focused. Who can stay focused on the victory? Whoever can do that is going to win the battle. The enemy's not going to stop. He's not going to call time out and say, wait, hold on. Let me regroup. But it's going to be constant. He's going to be that roaring lion that just continues to come at you and come at you. We have to fill our minds with God's word and be disciplined enough to think on these things. What are you thinking about? What's on your mind? That's why my mom, whenever I would call home and need a word, she would hear and listen to me, listen to my problems. And she would hear, if I wasn't quoting the word, Stephen, you need to get in the word. That's how she knew if I was going to win the battle. If I'm talking about all kinds of other things and not the word, I would be defeated. Stephen, you need to get in the word. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, this is what we need to be thinking about. We need to know that we're a child of God, that we are the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that we've been bought and purchased with a price. These are the things that we need to infiltrate and flood our minds with. These need to be our thoughts. Another way to combat your mind is with your mouth. I'm going to say that again. Another way to combat your mind is with your mouth. A lot of times we think these things, but it has to be more than that. We've got to do more than just think that these things. We've got to speak them out of our, mo- our mouth. Me and my wife, we had an opportunity to, to teach at a special needs school. And we went through some rigorous training. I'd never done it before. Um, and it was pretty incredible. Man, God showed me a lot. And one of the big, big things that I learned is how to communicate with a lot of these special needs kids because a lot of them are high functioning. And there were a lot of them that were lower functioning. They couldn't talk. They couldn't communicate the things that they were feeling. 
the things that they wanted, just a simple drink, I want this or I want that, they would mumble. They couldn't say it. They couldn't get the words out. And I'd see these speech therapists come in that school, and they begin to work with these students. And one of the main things that they would say to the student that couldn't communicate very well, and they were trying to get them to talk, is they would say, use your words. Hey, use your words. Sojourn. God is saying, use your words. The power is in your mouth. You need to use your words against the enemy, against the battle that you're fighting. Amen? Amen. When we begin to use God's word over our battles, we begin to gain ground. We begin to move forward in the spirit. We begin to speak the words that God has been given us. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're not going to win this battle with quotes of the day. We're not going to win the battle with, you know, things that we see on Facebook. Oh, that sounds nice. That daily quote, I like that. I'm going to just hold that dear and dear to my heart. That's not how we're going to win. We've got to use God's word and progress and move forward. Amen? The second strategy that I believe that God has given us as a weapon is unity. On the count of three, everybody say unity. One, two, three. Unity. You see what I did? That's good. We were together. We were like-minded. We did that together in one accord. And it's so amazing as I look out in the crowd to see that we are so diverse. I mean, I see it here, backgrounds, different backgrounds and races. God has brought all these diverse people together, and it's amazing. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad I'm not like you. <laughs> it is. It shows, it shows how creative God is that he has made us completely different. We can even go through the same exact situations and interpret it completely different. It affects us completely different. Here's the kicker. As different as we are, and thank God we are different, God calls us to be one. He calls us to be unified in what we're doing. And I'm going to tell you, having, being in unity, there's so much power. There's a force when we're unified and we stand together. There's power in unification. All throughout the Bible, you see the power of being unified. You see Acts chapter 2 in the upper room where the Holy Spirit just fell down. Thousands of people came to Christ. You see it in Genesis chapter 11, verse 6 at the Tower of Babel. So important. I love this scripture. I love This was one of my favorite Bible stories growing up as a kid. The Lord said, this is verse 6, the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. That is the power that we have as we join together with one heart and one mind, one battle cry, one purpose. There's a time where I saw the power of unity firsthand in my life. And it was a time me and Chris were together. We were driving in my dad's old pickup truck. Uh, I'll never forget it. There's so many memories in that old Toyota. And uh, Chris had just gotten his driver's license. So he wanted to show off a little bit. He thought he was Mr. McStuff. He thought he was the stuff there. So we were driving down this gravel road and... Uh, Chris said, watch this. And so he jerks the steering wheel real fast. And we're on this gravel road. And we slide a little bit. And he straightens it back up. I'm like, Chris, man, what are you doing? You can't be doing that. And I, I put my seatbelt on. That was back when seatbelts weren't required. But I put it on when I was riding with Chris. So I put my seatbelt on. I'm like, Chris, what are you doing? He's like, oh, nothing, nothing. He's just laughing. And then he does it again. I mean, he jerks the wheel real fast. And we slide. And then he straightens it back up. I'm like, come on, Chris, man. You can't be doing that. He was like, all right, all right, all right, I'm stop, I stop, I stop, I'm gonna stop. 
he jerks it hard one more time, really hard. And this gravel road was like in this, uh, this, this hill, there was an embankment on both sides that were higher than the road. And the nose of the truck, we slid like this. And the nose of the truck hits the side of the road on this bank, embankment. And we flipped over. Me and Chris, we flipped this truck. And you know how, how like when accidents and different things happen in slow motion and there's nothing you can do about it but just watch it unfold? That's exactly what was happening. I mean, we got cups and Cokes in our hands and the liquid is coming out and you're just looking at it. It was beautiful, you know, <laughs> watching it. And Chris is flying in there. If you could see that, Chris is just flying in the air. I'm flying in the air. Chris is stepping all over me. Uh, as we're t uh, turning over in the truck and finally we land and, and the truck slides and Chris, he scurries out of the truck as fast as he could. I've never seen Chris scurry that fast, man. He got out, crawled out of the truck. I crawl out of the truck and they say that when you have something like this happen, of course, there was nothing to happen. We weren't like hurt or injured or anything. But in the moment, you have all of this adrenaline and you can do anything. And I don't think we had adrenaline. We just had the fear of Donald and Thelma flowing through our veins because we knew at that moment it wasn't going to be good. And Chris was like, oh, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And uh, we were supposed to meet my dad. He was cutting firewood just a couple of miles up the road. We we're going to meet him in the truck to get firewood. And now we find ourselves with the truck flipped over. Chris like, what are we going to do? Oh, I got it. I got it. We got to flip this truck back over, Stephen. We got to do it, man. We got to show up. We got to flip the truck over. And I'm like, Chris, this thing's a couple of thousand pounds. There's no way we can flip this truck over. He's like, come on. We got to try. We got to do it. And so me and Chris, we come together. And we start pulling on it and picking up on it, and we flipped that truck back over. We did. And that wasn't the amazing thing. The most amazing thing is we got in, and it cranked back up. I was like, oh, my goodness. We were driving down the road, high-fiving and dancing and stuff. We were so excited until we pulled up, and we saw our dad. He looked at, at the truck, and then he looked again like that. We forgot that the whole windshield was smashed out. The door was banged up and stuff. And oh, my gosh. And that's the power of unity right there. <laughs> a lot of things that we say over at Salty at my church in Ormond is we say mission over me. It's the whole idea of what Jesus prayed in the garden, the perfect prayer. God, not my will, not my mission, not what I want for my life, but whatever you have for my life. The mission is more important than me. And a lot of times we get this backwards. Me over the mission. What I want in life is more important than what God has for me. What I need to accomplish and what I need to do in my life is way more important than what I've got and what God has for me. And when we do that, we mess things up because God has amazing things planned for our lives. Things that we don't even know about. Things that we've never even, it's, the thought has never even entered into our mind. And God has that for us, but we negate that when we say, nope, what I need to do is way more important than what God has for me. But when you begin to line up with God's word and you begin to say, God, not my will, but your will be done. I'm telling you, God aligns us together and we use our unity as a force. When we are selfless and say, you know what, not my will, but God, what you have for my life, God will blow us away the things that he has, the things that he's placed into your heart and your spirit. Even when you were kids, 
You look at your life and say, man, I'm so far away from where God has me and where God wants me to be. How can I get there? I'm telling you, mission over me. God, what you have for my life. And God's in the business of blowing us away. He's in the business of like completely blowing our minds that we can't even comprehend. God's not in the mediocrity business. That's not what he does. When we begin, begin to get on board with God's purpose for our lives, we begin to see the gift and the weapon that we have in unification. When we are unified as the body of Christ, we reflect the very image of Jesus. And he modeled it for us perfectly. He modeled unity perfectly in John chapter 7, verse 22. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be as one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may, brought, may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. When we become unified, when we come to church and we worship, we're all this morning together. We were lifting the name of Jesus Christ. We were unified. There was power in the name of Jesus. As we begin to sing that name, things were happening in the spiritual realm. We begin to progress. We begin to move forward in the battle that's ahead of us. But we can't win the war if we don't understand the objective and the mission. When we, when we unite as one, we reverberate the name of Jesus, and it can be heard across the world. When we speak the name of Jesus together, the last thing I want to talk about is what's the win? Why are we doing this? Why are we here? What do, we, what do you quantify as a win for you? At the end of the day, after all is said and done, what was the win? What was it all about? Why are we doing this? What's the point? We come to church. We sing. We worship. We give. A lot of times we're reading our Bible and we don't understand it. Sometimes we do. We try to pray as much as we can, and it just feels like nothing's happening. It feels like nothing is changing. My prayers are hitting the ceiling. They're going nowhere. And we find ourselves a lot of time asking ourselves that question, what's the point? But I'm here to tell you this morning, we need to shift our thinking and shift that question from not what's the point, but what's my purpose? What does God have me here at Sojourn for? Why am I here? And as you begin to ask those questions, you'll know that you have a purpose. God has something specific and a reason for you being here at Sojourn Church. That's the win for us. That's how we're going to win the battle is when we begin to work in the purpose that God has called us to be and to live in. Amen? I believe the win for Sojourn is to lead people to Jesus Christ. I believe the win for Sojourn is to, to go in, into the, the battle and, and take captives, captives and lead them to Jesus Christ. For the ones that are lost and are hurt, that are broken, that we point them to Calvary. Amen. I know that that's God's purpose and that's what he has you here for. The other way we're going to win this battle is found in John chapter 13. It says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And there, I remember a story I'm going to tell of Chris. Um, Chris was a senior in, in high school, and I was in the 10th grade. And I'd come home from work or from school there, and Chris, he'd have his work clothes on. And I'm not talking about like a work clothes with a uniform and a name badge like Chick-fil-A or anything like that because we, we still don't have a Chick-fil-A in Camden, right, Dan? 
No, they don't. We just got that Taco Bell, right? We just got it. Chris had his work clothes on, and it was some old boots and an old beat-up shirt. I'm like, Chris, where are you going? What are you doing? Chris said, I'm going to go over to this guy's house and help him. Uh, he's got some construction there, some things that he's doing, and I'm going to help him. And I was like, man, that's cool. I said, how much is he paying you? He said, he's not paying me anything. I'm like, wait a minute, Chris. You're getting ready to go over to this guy's house and help him waste your day just to help this guy out, and you're not getting paid? He was like, yeah, I, I just think that's the right thing for me to do. I said, man, that's stupid. That's dumb. I would never do that. <laughs> and every day after school, I would see him put on these old dirty clothes and go and help this guy on his house and work on it. And I couldn't understand it. But what he was doing is modeling this John chapter 13 for me. A new command I give you to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. God's not telling us to get up and holler it and scream it. Hey, you need to come to Jesus. No, the way that we're going to win this war is by loving each other. Then people will know that we're unified. Then people will know that we're together as we begin to rise up and be unified and wage war on the enemy. Amen? That's what we're here to do, Sojourn. That's our mission. That is our purpose. It's not what I need to do and accomplish in my life, but it's what God has for me. Amen? I'm going to ask Chris to come up as, as we get ready to pray because I know that there is power in unity. And as we begin to stand up, I ask you guys, everybody out here to stand. As we pray, this is our weapon right here. One heart and one mind and one focus, one goal 